0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. But potentially revolting with the very concealment of the intent behind them. Impossible that a worse thing could await her beyond that dark threshold. She crossed it in one stride, swung the door to, and set her shoulders against it. Outside she heard the shuffling footfall's pause. The knob rattled, but instead of the inward thrust against which she stood braced, there came the least of outward pulls, as if to make sure that the latch had caught. And after a brief pause, a key, greater than the lock, was withdrawn, and the slippered feet withdrew in turn. When her lungs ceased to labour painfully, she took her courage in both hands and began to explore, groping blindly through darkness, encountering nothing till she blundered into a table which held a glass lamp for paraffin oil like those in use below. Fumbling over the top of the table, she found matches, struck one and set its fire to the wick. The flame waxed and grew steady in a crusted chimney. Revealing a room with a slant ceiling, and two dormer windows, bordered. In one corner a cot-bed, with tumbled blankets. Near this a low wooden stand, with a pipe, spirit-lamp, and other paraphernalia of an opium-smoker. No chairs, not another stick of furniture of any kind. Removing the lamp, the girl set it on the floor and pushed the table over against the door. By not so long as half a minute would its reinforcement delay Victor when he made up his mind to get in but in such emergencies the humankind is not impatient of the most futile expedients. There was nothing more she could do. She stood still, listening. The rattle of pistol fire, three floors below, continued in fits and starts, but the sound of it was oddly unreal, resembling more stammering explosions of a string of firecrackers than snaps of the whiplash of death. She tried one of the windows without encouragement, but at the other found a board with a loose end, which she pried aside, till through begrimed glass she could see a ghastly weeping sky of daybreak, and, by craning her neck, peer down into the dark gully of the street. At first she thought it empty, but presently her straining vision made out two huddled shapes upon the further sidewalk, close under the walls of a public house, whose signs she could just barely decipher. The Red Moon. Then, about to draw back from the window, she saw five men, oddly foreshortened figures from that lofty coin of view, leave the Red Moon by one of its bar entrances, bearing between them a heavy beam of wood, and with this improvised battering-ram aimed at the door to the besieged house, charge awkwardly across the cobbles. The house spat fire from doors and windows, a withering blast. In the middle of the street the beam was abandoned. Three of its foolhardy bearers took to their heels, each shaping an individual course, while one lay still upon the wet black stones, and another, apparently wounded in the legs, sought pitifully to drag himself by his arms, inch by inch, out of the zone of fire. But presently his efforts grew feeble, then he, too, lay Stirless, prone in the sluicing rain. The girl shrank back from the window, hiding her eyes as if to blot out that picture. The light, that is to say the absence of it in true sense, the angle of view and the distance, all had conspired to prevent her from making sure that neither her father nor Carslake were of those four whose broken bodies cluttered the street but the fear and uncertainty were maddening. She wheeled suddenly toward the door. The ancient stairs were creaking beneath a measured tread. She made an offer to add her weight to that of the table, but checked and fell back immediately, seeing the folly of sacrificing her strength, the wisdom of saving it to serve her when finally... The creaking ceased. The wards of the lock grated. The knob turned. The door was thrust open the table offering little hindrance, if any. From the threshold, Victor eyed the girl with a twitching grin. The time is at hand, he announced, with a parody of punctilio. We have beaten them off in the street, but they've found the tunnel from the cell of the Red Moon and are attacking from the river besides. So, my dear, it ends for us. In silence... Shoulders to the wall furthest from the door, Sophia watched him, unwinking. The lamp at her feet painted the tensely poised young body and bloodless face with quaint, stagey shadows. Victor's glance ranged the cheerless room. I think you understand me, he said. She might have been a waxwork dummy out of Madame Tussaud's. A white blaze of madness transfigured Victor's countenance. He took one step towards Sophia. In movements so precisely coordinated that they seemed one and instantaneous, the girl stooped, caught up the lamp and threw it with all her might. Victor ducked his head. The lamp sailed on, described a descending curve through the open doorway into the well of the staircase, struck and exploded. In the clutches of the maniac, Sophia was aware of the lurid glare, momentarily gaining strength, that filled the rectangle of the doorway. In through this last, while iron hands tightened on her throat, and consciousness grew dark with closing shadows, a man's shape passed, then another. The grip on her throat grew lax. The hands left it free. She reeled, but somebody caught her up and bore her swiftly from the room, leaving two who fought together like beasts on the floor, locked in each other's arms, rolling and squirming, rearing and flopping. The scorch of flames stung her cheek, but she forgot that when their broken light made visible the features of Carslake above the arms wherein she lay cradled. Turning aside from the staircase, Carslake bore her to the ladder leading to the skylight, whose broken glass crunched beneath his heels at every step, in the open air he pulled up for a moment's rest but continued to hold Sophia in his arms the wind raved about them buffeted them tore their breath away rain pelted them like birdshot but they clung to each other and were unaware of reason for complaint presently however Karslake remembered and anxiously endeavored to disengage from these tenacious arms let me go dearest he muttered I must go back. I left your father to take care of Victor and, as if evoked by his very solicitude, Lanyard emerged from the skylight hatch, waved a hand in gay salute, then turned to stare down into the flaming pit from which he had climbed. After a little he fell back a pace, then slowly, with the laboured movements of exhaustion, Victor worked head and shoulders through the opening and dragged himself out upon the roof. On all fours he held in doubt, his head moving from side to side like the head of a stricken beast, seeking his enemy with dazzled eyes. Then he made Lanyard out, and, pulling himself together for the supreme effort, launched at his throat with the pounce of a great cat. Lanyard met him halfway, caught him in the middle of his bound, Wound wiry arms around the man and held him helpless. His voice rang clear above the crackle of flames. Victor, have you forgotten how you threatened one night, twenty years ago, to follow me to the very gates of hell and what I promised you? That if you did, I'd push you inside. What did you think I would forget? He cast the man from him, backward, down into the hungry maw of that inferno. End of Book 2, Chapter 22 End of Red Masquerade by Louis-Joseph Vance